It's great to have you here this morning to be able to uh, worship the Lord together, to be able to look at God's Word together. And we're in this series we're calling His Name. We're looking at eight of the 32 names of God we find in the Old Testament. And as I was thinking about this whole series, His Name, I thought, you know, really, even when we look to God, our experience with Him, our experience with church, our experience with other Christians may in some way influence the way we think about even God. And I was thinking about sort of when we were naming our kids. My wife is a teacher, an elementary school teacher. Anyone married to teachers out there? And so when we were coming up with names, it was interesting. Sometimes I'd say, what about this name? And she'd go, ooh, no. I had a student, and she would associate that student with that name. And I'd go, well, maybe our child could, like, be the name changer for you. And she'd go, oh, no, that ain't going to happen. And so, you know, just this experience with this one kid was like, well, I can't name my kid that. And I, I was thinking through this, and, and, and really when we think about why did God choose to put 32 names of God in the Old Testament, these descriptive names, it was so we can know him. So any preconceived ideas could, could fade away. So maybe who we want God to be uh, can fade away to who we need God to be. And one of the names, and the name we're going to look at this morning, but he gives of himself so we can know him better and, and grow in this amazing relationship with him, is Jehovah Shalom, which means Jehovah. God is our peace. Shalom, of course, is a Hebrew word for peace, and Jehovah is sort of the Latinized, Germanized um, version of the name Yahweh, the Old Testament name Yahweh, Hebrew name for God. So God is our peace, Jehovah Shalom. 200 times, 200 times in the Old Testament, this, this shalom is, is, is mentioned. It's a piece that speaks to wholeness of a person, a person becoming whole, a person becoming uh, at ease, not just with themselves, but with others. And it's, an, it's a word that speaks of the absence of strife, the absence of not just inner strife, but strife between our relationships with other people, even people's nations with other nations. And so shalom may suggest either a personal, internal peace in the heart or an of an individual or an external peace between people and nations. But no matter how you look at it, no matter how it's used in Scripture, shalom always, always points to something that's, that's personal. It, it's spiritual. It's inward. It, and it's something that flows out that, that impacts those around us. It, it puts our minds at ease. And so we're going to be looking at one of the instances in the Old Testament where this term for God, this descriptive name of God comes up, Jehovah Shalom. And it's one of my favorite accounts in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Judges. And before we actually jump into the account, let's, let's figure out what's happening in the book of Judges. Judges really gives us a picture of the 250 years in the, in the life of Israel, after Moses dies, after, after Moses dies and after Joshua dies. So Moses dies and Joshua takes over as leader, then he dies. And for 250 years after that, Judges gives us a picture of what's going on in Israel. And what is going on in Israel? Well, they were supposed to drive out the inhabitants of the land, but they lose momentum. In fact, listen to how the Lord warns them in Judges 2, 2 through 3. He says, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall, not, you shall break down their altars, but you've not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I say, I will, drive them, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And this is exactly what happens. 
For 250 years, Israel goes into this bad cycle. And the cycle is really, really simple. They worship false gods. They find themselves in times of suffering where other peoples come in and cause havoc. Then they cry out to God and God sends them a savior, a judge, a deliverer. And so Israel's cycle is simple. It's sin, suffering, salvation, sin, suffering, salvation. For 250 years, they go through this. In fact, we read in Judges 2.12, Israel abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And so one of the occasions within this 250 years where God sends a deliverer, where God sends somebody who's going to come and be a judge, is a name by a man by the name of Gideon. One of my favorite stories in all, all the Old Testament. And, and so Gideon is, is raised up as an individual who's going to do something great. He's going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And the Midianites were another people group that were coming in and causing havoc in Israel. So Israel had sinned. They had turned their back on God. Now they're suffering. And so they're, they're about ready to have a salvation period. And this is what we read, Judges 6, 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under, uh, under the terebinth in Ophrah, which belonged to Yoash, who was an Aborizerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, by the way, nothing is, is mentioned casual in Scripture. Like when it's mentioned in Scripture, it's there for a purpose. And we're being introduced to someone who's going to become a leader, but where do we find him? We find him in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, what did it mean for, for Gideon to be threshing wheat? I don't know about you, but I've never threshed wheat in my life. And so what was he really doing? How did that happen, especially back then? Well, it was something that would happen on a hard, compact surface. Threshing was done by, by beating the grain with a flail or a flexible stri- a stick that would separate the seeds from the straw. And then you would use what was known as a winnowing fan or fork, And you would actually throw it up in the air and the shaft would blow away. And what was left was the grain that you wanted. So you needed some space. And by the way, you needed some wind. And where do we find Gideon? He's in a wine press. Now a wine press in those days was dug into the ground. So there's not much space and there's no wind. In fact, what Gideon was trying to do from the outside looking in probably looked a little bit ridiculous. It was like trying to take a swim in a baby pool. I mean, picture it. He has no room to move. There's no wind to do this job. But he's there because he's scared. He's living in fear. He's afraid that the Midianites will come in, they'll attack again, and they'll take this grain. And so in a a real real way, Gideon is like a child fearing that the bullies are going to come and steal his lunch money. And this is where we find Gideon. Filled with fear. And I just got to point out, because it's so important, that fear and faith cannot coexist in equal measures. I mean, think about it. Where fear increases, faith diminishes. The good news is where faith increases, fear diminishes. But they can't operate in, in equal measures. Then this is what we read, Judges 6, 12 and 13. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Now think about the interaction that Gideon has with this angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says to him what? God is with you, man of valor. Another translation says it this way. God is with you, mighty warrior. With Gideon. And Gideon turns it around and says, well, if God was with us, like he can't take this personal word as something that God is speaking to him. And he turns it around and says, well, if God is with us, more than that, what is Gideon accusing God of? Not being with him. And Gideon's in that simple statement saying, it's not Israel's fault that they worshiped false gods and now are in time of suffering. For some reason, God isn't acting the way that he should act. And I don't know about you, but in my Christian journey, I know I found myself in a place like this from time to time. Where I'm like, God, why aren't you blessing me even though I'm doing things my own way? Ever been there? I know I'm going down the right path, but, but why don't you do all the things I want you to do anyway? And you know what the reality is? Fear will distort truth. And here's Gideon, a man filled with fear. And he has distorted, this distorted view of God. He has this distorted view of himself. He even has a distorted view of his culture. God, why aren't you doing anything? Which, by the way, the Lord is going to quickly say, well, I am Gideon. <laughs> Look at verses 14 through 16. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon is still not getting it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself slow on the uptake. And this angel of the Lord is speaking to him. He's called him a mighty warrior. He calls him out and says, you're going to lead victory. You're going you're to take your, your people, Israel, out of this time of suffering into a time of salvation. And Gideon says, I can't do it. Like, my family's the least of the least, and I'm the least in there. Now, talking about a bad self-image. Talking about a bad self-image. But then he finds out, even as the angel says to him, but, but I will be with you. God will be with you, Gideon. It doesn't matter how you see yourself, how others see you, or what you have or don't have. I am with you. Notice that Gideon has the strength to save Israel, but he has to appropriate it through faith. He has to believe what God says to him. And isn't that true of all of us? That if you made a decision to, to be in a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the scripture is full of promises, full of what we have at our disposal as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, we got to appropriate it through faith. What's that mean? It means it's ours, but it's not automatically ours. We've got to step into it. We've got we've to believe it. We've, we've got to take that step of faith and, and enter into what God's calling us to. And Gideon's still refusing to do that. He sees himself as a nobody. I read just this past week this description of Moses 
If you, if you know the story of Moses, he lived 120 years. He had these 40-year break periods in his life. For the first 40 years, the individual said, Moses thought he was somebody. For the next 40 years, when he falls sort of from, from the grace of the, of the Egyptian leaders and, and lives in exile, for the next 40 years, he realized he was a nobody. But I love it. But the last 40 years, what did Moses realize? What God can do in the life of a nobody. That when someone humbles themselves before God and realizes it's not what I have, it's not what I can do in and of myself. In other words, I don't limit me when I place myself in the hands of God. That when God says to Gideon, he says to us, by the way, this morning, if I am with you, you can do this. You can get through the circumstance you're going through. You can, you can find victory in the situation that you find yourself in, that there's nothing that you cannot do if God is with you and he's calling you to it. And Gideon is still wrestling with this. It says in verse, and, and as we drop down in Judges 6, 17 through 21, that he's, he's, he's really wrestling with this. And by the way, it's all too common for people to use their poor perspective of themselves to, to explain away what they can't do in the Lord. But here's what I'm reminded of. What's unthinkable, what's unthinkable for me to do on my own is unstoppable with God. Let that wash over you for a minute. That's true as you, with you, to you as well. What's unthinkable for you to do on your own is unstoppable with God. That's the power he has. Now listen, all of a sudden Gideon is, is, is face to face with this call to do this great thing and yet he's wrestling with it. Look at Judges 6, 17 through 21. And he said to him, Gideon says to the angel of the Lord, if now I have found favor in your eyes and show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out your present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the Ternabeth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on the rock and pour the broth over them. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. By the way, what a picture. Gideon's still working through this. You know, he's like, if you say you are who you say you are, stay here. I'm going to bring a gift to you. I'm going to bring it out. Gideon's still not believing who he is in, Christ, in the Lord yet. And he brings out this, this offering and I think he probably figured, you oh, know, well, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, he found out what happened really quick. The angel Lord taps that thing and it goes up. This offering, this gift. And, and I thought about how important it is that the offerings we bring to the Lord aren't, aren't things that he needs, but we need to give them. Then when we talk about offerings, it, it's not about what God, God doesn't need anything. But we need to give to him. And he does a work in us as we trust him and step out in faith and give him an offering. And this is what Gideon does. But then Gideon perceives something. Look at verses 22 through 23. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord 
And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. We see this over and over again in the Old Testament. This this belief that if you saw God, an angel of the Lord, face to face that you were going to die. And so Gideon's still racked with fear. At this very moment, he's racked with fear. He thinks he's going to die. And God says, you're not going to die. I picture him almost saying, take a deep breath. Think about everything you've, you've just encountered. Think about what the angel of the Lord has said to you. God has said, you're a mighty warrior. You're a man of valor. Valor. You have the strength, and it's interesting. God says, you have the strength. Step out in faith. Deliver your people. And I think it's at that moment, Gideon has an aha moment. Have you ever had one of those? It takes me a while to get there, but when I have them, they're quite profound. Gideon has an aha moment. Look at Judges 6.24. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Aborizrites. So what's happening here? There's this complete turnaround in Gideon's thinking. Like his thinking, thinking is is, is all of a sudden turned around to rightful thinking. Just moments ago, he's afraid he's going to die. Just moments before that, he's in a wine press hiding from the Midianites, scared to death. God calls him out and says, look, you're a mighty warrior. And he says, wait a minute, you're not even with us. But something changes when he realizes he's been face-to-face with the living God. And he's going to believe what God says about him. And this man who was filled with fear, he, he builds this altar, but what does he call it? Jehovah is our peace. Jehovah Shalom. That's the name of God used here. God is our what? Peace. This man riddled with fear is now filled with the actual peace of God. Now, it's important we point out that Gideon still lives in a fallen world, but he gains a heavenly perspective and a touch of the peace of the eternal God. He still lives in a messed up situation where the minions can come in at any moment. He still lives in a culture, by the way, where they're worshiping false gods. But now that he sees God face to face, he begins to believe not only who God is, but because he believes who God is, he all of a sudden believes who he is in God. And not only God is a God of peace, but the very peace of God is filling Gideon's life. See, genuine peace is found only in the Lord. Genuine peace is found only in the Lord. It it becomes very clear through the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the source of Siloam peace. Romans 1, second part of verse 7 reads this way. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, peace is grounded. It's rooted in Jesus, God the Son, Prince of Peace. Of this one to come, Isaiah writes, Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God is with us. Further, Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Siloam. 
He's the one that brings true peace. In fact, the gospel testifies of the coming of Christ. Luke 1, 35, and we'll drop down to verse 37. It says, the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born within you will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Then drop, we drop down to Luke 2, 11. It says, for unto us a son is born to this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord, Prince of Peace, Jesus. He's the one that brings peace into our life. And the fullest meaning of peace is best described as health to a sin-sick, our wrongdoing, crippled soul. Were you there? It's, it's characterized by a sound and healthy relationship between us and God and us and others. And, and Jesus brings both this world peace and, and personal peace, one still to come, and one is available to us today. It's interesting to me when I talk to fellow Christians and they go, what's wrong with the world? And I go, well, do you want me to start back in Genesis and work your way all the way through? We live in a fallen world. A fallen world shouldn't surprise us when it seems messed up from time to time. Come on now. I mean, it, it's what we almost should expect. Now, will there ever be peace? I hear people say that. Will there ever be peace? Yes, when Jesus returns. Outside of Jesus returning, we'll have pockets of peace within humanity. Pockets of peace within humanity. But here's the good news this morning. That peace to exist within us isn't dictated by what happens around us. It's dictated by the one who has saved us. Jesus paid the price so we can have peace in him. That peace is available in the here and now. You might have heard this statement, and maybe you saw the bumper sticker that had this on it. No, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And it seems like such a trite statement, but there's power in those simple words, isn't there? If we don't have Jesus in our life, there's no hope of having genuine peace. But if we have Jesus in our life, it's, it, all the hope is there. Now, I'm going to be honest about my journey. There are moments I have peace and there's moments I don't. There's moments I have peace and moments I don't. There's times where I've been so riddled with, with fear because of a certain situation in my life. Maybe it's something going on in my family or something happening around me. And I've gone and I've laid it before the Lord. Has anyone ever done that? Lord, this is yours. And I walk away and I feel peace until I turn back around and pick it up again. Come on now. Am I the only one? I can have peace if I continue to lay it there. But here, here's the good news. You know what happens when I find that, when I, that, find that peace not there anymore? I go over and I give it to him again. You say, Craig, how many times have you done it? None of your business. <laughs> but many. And every time I place it back in his hands, whatever it is, he fills me with his peace. He gives me this, this understanding of who he is and how much he loves me. He calls me to appropriate these things by stepping out in faith. It's not just some, some feeling of peace. It's a reality. No, I am at peace in Christ's hands. You say, when you're at peace, does that mean everything goes really well? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? That's called paradise. That happens when Jesus returns. No, no, no. Peace isn't determined by the circumstances. It's, de it's determined on Christ. 
I can have peace in the midst of the storm. And I'll tell you, I'm surprised by what, how the Lord has grown me up in this. Like, I'm still a work in progress, but I've grown so much in this. Just this past week, there were two situations where, where the younger me would have handled them less than peacefully. And I didn't even think much of it until after the fact and went, wow, that went really well. I'm not ashamed of myself. <laughs> Ever been there? God is good. His peace is available. I was thinking through this and, and, and just had a question for us, to, a couple questions for us to sort of wrap our mind around and ask the Lord and ask ourselves, you know, have you made a decision to reconcile to God through Jesus Christ? Like if you're trying to find peace and you're looking everywhere else, have you come to Jesus, the only one who can give it? Have you laid yourself before him and said, Lord Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. Would you fill me with the peace that, by the way, you are. You're Jehovah, Shalom, the God, our peace. Give me that peace. I want that peace in you. Maybe you made that decision, but you're sitting here this morning. If you were to be honest, you're like, I'm holding on to this, and I'm holding on to that, and I've had peace for a moment. It's gone tomorrow. You know? Just give it back to him. Come to him this morning. Make where you're seated an altar of sorts. Do some business with the Lord this morning. Say, God, help me learn what it means to appropriate that peace in you. Then I want to encourage you this morning that if you find yourself in, in a tendency where you're riddled with depression and anxiety, don't be ashamed to reach out for help. Like sometimes the Lord does things miraculous in our life. It's like this. Then sometimes the Lord does something miraculous in our life and it's a process. Ever been there? Sometimes it's, it's over time. And if you need to seek out a counselor or even a medical professional, don't be ashamed of that. Like God can do this or God can lead you there. But don't not follow what the Lord calls you to do then wonder why he's not doing it. However the Lord wants to work in you to bring this peace, because I believe he does want to bring peace in all of our lives, by the way. Won't you just trust in him? Then lastly, I want to go back to how I started with my wife, Krista, the elementary school teacher, naming our kids and how these names sort of have a stigma. Maybe you're seated here this morning. You don't even know why you're here. Don't even know why you showed up. Maybe come in a few weeks and you're like, I don't even know why I keep coming. Church isn't for me. Maybe your perception of God, your perception of church, your perception of Christianity has been, has been just bad. And when you think of the name of God, you don't see a God of peace. You see a God that's different than that. Will you, like Gideon, allow the Lord to transform your understanding of who God is? Would you this morning allow the Lord, whether you're here in this room, at the, over in the chapel or online, would you allow the Lord, would you allow the Lord to change your thinking to understand who God really is? It took Gideon a process, but finally he understood Jehovah, Jehovah Shalom. God is a God of peace. I've been living in fear, but God, you're a God of peace. And I can do, God, what you call me to do. This morning, if you're here wrestling, with an understanding of God, 
his love for you, the power you have in him. Would you just, in a moment as I pray, make your seat again an altar and say, Lord God, would you penetrate me with the truth of who you are? Because fear will distort, the truth will empower. Let Christ empower you this morning. Jehovah Shalom. God, our peace. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here this morning to be able to put your glory on display as we worship you, as we study your word. Thank you for this amazing name that you revealed to us through your word, Jehovah Shalom, God our peace in this account in the life of Gideon. I think most of us can relate to Gideon. Plagued with fear. Living out in a circumstance that wasn't safe. So, so riddled with fear that he, he, he didn't understand who he was in you or who you were to him. And it took a process. And yet eventually he comes to the place where he declares, oh, no, 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 no. God, the true God is a God of peace. And not only is he a God of peace, but he can fill me with his peace. God, would you fill us with that faith this morning? The faith that would take someone who's yet to have a relationship with you to at this very moment say, Lord Jesus, be Savior and Lord of my life. Thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I want to begin that relationship with you that I've been created to have. That relationship that life only works when I'm in. Oh, Jesus, be my Savior. Would you meet people where they're at, Father? Maybe they've made that decision, but they're going through a circumstance right now that is so horrendous that they can't even imagine where the peace would come from. Would you remind them that that peace comes from you? That peace that surpasses understanding. We can't even wrap our mind around it sometimes. It's a divine peace that's placed in us. When we come to you believing and trusting. And Lord, when we go back to our ways of trying to take it back and fear starts to envelop us again. May we, may we trust you enough to come back and come back and come back to receive that peace until the day when you return and that peace is permanent. Permanent. Lastly, Father, I pray for the person who maybe has a distorted view of you. Maybe because of how people who used your name used it inappropriately. Maybe because of the life they've, they've been a part of and like getting there saying, how can you say you're with us, God, when this and this and this has happened? We live in a fallen world where heinous things occur. But you are here. You love us. You proclaim to each and every one of us, oh, valor person of strength. Come to me, trust in me. Because what is unthinkable when you try to do this alone is unstoppable when you do it with me. God, would you, as we call out on your name, would you break strongholds this morning? Would you deliver people this morning? Would you bring salvation this morning? And Lord, as we gather and you do this amazing work, as we scatter, would we just take your love and message to those throughout this region for your glory? And all of us, in the precious name of Jesus, amen.